Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Driving More Show here on Tuesday, the something of December, uh, 8th of December. That's right. And we come to you at 8 p.m. every single Tuesday with the uh, Driving More show. And whilst the season might have ended here, uh, down here in um, the Southern Hemisphere or here in New Zealand, because, hey, they're still playing rugby straight through summer in South Africa. That seems like a sensible thing to do. Um, so um, uh, don't, but don't worry, we will not stop. We will keep on going through um, all the way through until Super Rugby kicks off as well. And tomorrow um, I am interviewing... I've gone blank for his name. That's really very poor, isn't it? Um, the Southland um, CEO, we're going to review uh, the uh, season uh, that Southland's had and what it's been like for him in his first year as a CEO of a, um, of a province. Um, hopefully, I'm also lining up a couple more CEOs for chats and reviewing of the season as well. Um, so uh, do keep it right here. Um, and joining me this evening to look back over the international part of the season, um, as always, is uh, Mr. Stephen Harris. How are you doing, sir? Thank you very much, Paul. Once again, a privilege and a pleasure to be on the TDM. Uh, 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 the privilege is all ours, or, or should I say, all our viewers. Um, and uh, also joining us is the Statsman, Boa. How are you doing, sir? Very well. The highlight of my week. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are on planet Earth, joining this wonderful show. Great to be here and great to have you guys on. And uh, thank you. And folks, um, by the way, we've today we've just heard that um, break dancing has been announced as an Olympic sport. And whilst Bo is laughing away there, he sees it as a joke. I see it as an opportunity. So if any of you know of anyone who might like to do a break dancing podcast, then, hey, uh, New Zealand Sport Radio is the place for them because, hey, it's now a sport. Um, let's start covering it in the build up to um, that Olympics. Uh, that's what I say. Um 2024 it is, so we've got, a, we've got a few years to try and educate um, the old fella, um, uh, Stephen Harris, up there. Um, he's obviously not doing his old wiggly army bits. Um, and uh, Boa's already got the shell suit on, so we are, we're really there. But we're, uh, perhaps we're a bit 80s, and we need to, we need to bring it some, bring it to oh, be a bit, some, a bit more modern, um, in the old hip-hop. So there we go. <laughs> 
dear me. Dear me. So for everyone who joins in the live chat below, don't forget you can join us in the live chat either via Facebook or, or um, YouTube or even Twitter for that matter. Or you can listen to the recording. Just search New Zealand Sports Radio on your favourite pod capture. This evening, as I say, we're going to look back over, um, or we're going to review the international season, um, particularly for the Tri-Nations teams, and let you know how we think their seasons have gone and where that places them. Have they had a good season, a bad season, or a uh, yeah, or somewhere in between? Just like we did for the Mighty Ten Cup teams as well. Um, also, uh, during the post-match interview for Mo for the uh, Mario Blacks versus the Moana um, Pacifica, um, Ash Dixon uh, made a bit of a bit of a uh, or dropped a bit of a bombshell, and we'll see. We'll, we'll have a little chat um, about that one um, as well. Um, we might also have time to. Uh, talk about the uh, structure of um, rugby in New Zealand. There's also been some news there. And uh, we should probably have a quick chat about concussion, um, really. So um, let's kick off with concussion, because we do have the um, the tackle framework man here himself. Um, so uh, apparently, um, there is there, they are building a case uh, to, to take to court um, of 70-plus... Uh, uh, ex-rugby players, including um, All Blacks, uh, one of them, um, uh, Carl Hay uh, uh, Heyman, um, is, uh, is is apparently one of the um, members who has uh, given some scans uh, and information to the lawyers who are putting the case together. They are looking at um, potentially uh, taking a case against uh, various uh, uni national unions, maybe uh, World Rugby as well. Um, so we'll have to wait and see um, about uh, uh, sort of exactly how that all pans out. But um, Bella, have you been uh, uh, f following this um, this story? Yeah, look, uh, very much. So first of all, just a quick shout out to some of our regulars. Uh, see them on the live uh, chat, guys. Thank you so much. You know, it's uh, it's quite humbling to see all you guys every week coming on. You know, being interactive with the show. So. Massive, massive shout out. Much respect, much love. Uh, yeah, look, uh, this is uh, this is something. Last four years of my life, I've I've really put a lot of work into, a lot of research. Worked very closely with um, ACC, uh, especially with my safe tackle framework STF. <clears throat> uh, man with the red head, green feet, and blue torso. Uh, it's it's all about making rugby uh, safer, uh, compliant. But yet, not you, you know losing the effectiveness and the spectator appeal as a as a, a a contact sport. Now, what rugby has actually failed or allegedly failed to have done, I have to say the word allegedly, uh, is you know they haven't done enough to keep its players safe from concussion. Now, um, one reason why the current high uh, high tackle framework has been brought along and why it was actually rushed. I've had a number of coaches who were preparing their teams for uh, the previous Rugby World Cup in 2019 actually, you know, write emails to me when I was doing my research saying, you know, um, we were given a memo three weeks prior to the kickoff of the World Cup and we said, these are the rules, this is the framework, we're going to police this quite heavily. Uh, and one of the uh, results we saw is we saw five red cards and about 32 yellow cards even before the knockout stage just came in. So concussion is, is very real. It's, uh, it's causing a lot of quite literally headaches and very serious injuries for the players involved in the sport. Uh, my personal view on this is that um, I'm, I'm actually 100% with these players. 
Uh, I don't think uh, the sport of rugby as a whole is doing enough in the sense being consistent right across the board on making sure uh, the sport is regulated and administered and the game uh, being played on the field policed in a consistent manner so that it actually keeps the, uh, the, the players safe. What we're actually seeing is uh, a bit of a very inconsistent uh, regime of policing. And, and, and this is something I'll get into later in the uh, broadcast about the cards, you know, yellow cards, red cards. We're seeing, you know, the same infringement, different weeks uh, being given a, a, a different uh, uh, a consequence, uh, a, a yellow card or a red card rather than consistent right across the board. So this is this is a very real problem and this is affecting the game uh, at all age groups, especially junior participation. In, right here in New Zealand, we've had a significant drop-off of children participating uh, or entering the sport. And one of the reasons, the second uh, most um, common reason in a research which was done as to why child participation rates are going down is parents fearing concussion. So very real problem, gentlemen. Absolutely. And anyone who says that concussions aren't real needs... Well, uh, I was saying he's a head seeker. That, that's a bit of the wrong, wrong term. Um, needs um, really doesn't know what they're talking about. Clearly, clearly concussion is real and and, and does happen. I, uh, as, as far as this particular case, legal case goes, I mean, someone like Carl Heyman, um, for example, his career was from 1998 through, or his professional career, uh, 1998 through till about 2015. Um, so we're not talking. Uh, so, so as far as this case goes. We're not talking so much about what's happening nowadays, but as but historically, has world rugby acted quickly enough and done enough to prevent um, the um, uh, pre prevent head injuries, concussions, and those sort of things? Um, and is is really so? This is more a historical case. That I mean, there's a separate argument and a separate whole discussion around what's happening now and consistency of officiating, uh, whether everyone still takes. Whether not still, whether everyone yet takes concussion seriously. I mean, we've heard stories from ex-players um, such as um, um, Cudmore, uh, the uh, Canadian international, who well-known and renowned um, strongman uh, or hardman uh, in in rugby, uh, being uh, only what must be two, maybe three seasons ago now, uh, getting sent back out after supposedly failing a HIA because. Um, the other lock had got injured and so hence he needs to go back out and, and fill the gap and getting sent back out again in a uh in, in a top 14 game um and uh, so yes uh, clearly it has not got through um at all levels to all teams uh you, we, we there, there, there's been great strides made let's be blunt um have they been far enough have they been quick enough are uh, open open um to discussion and i uh, Stephen, you we, we, when we had a chat some um, Day or two ago, you you mentioned about about concussions that um or uh, that you've you've uh, had suffered uh, during during games. Yeah, I, but listen, I I experienced it myself. It was one of the reasons why I sort of my my own career ended. But I can get remember getting getting knocked out to the to the point where I really didn't know how I even arrived at the game, and I was pretty much told to go home and have a rest. And there was a stand down for for three weeks, and which which I basically stood down and then I decided I'd never worn headgear before came back oh, probably a, probably the third week into coming back the second time I got knocked out again and that was pretty much the end of it on the advice of a doctor I was told um, to basically 
give the game away altogether. And uh, to be honest, I was still receiving headaches, really sharp headaches, probably a year after I had retired. And it's not just your your normal headache you can get from being dehydrated. It's it's almost like somebody's pressing on your brain. Um, and um, it, it it really took a while to get rid of the uh, get rid of the headache. So it's really really scary. Listen, I think what's what's unfolded. We shouldn't be surprised with this. We can think back to to 2014 when Shantane Huppy, the former New Zealand Rugby League international who also played rugby for England, but he, he was, I remember him saying in his article, even before he went pre-professional as a league player, he, was, he must have been concussed about 20 times. And by the time he started playing professional rugby in England for Gloucester, just after the 2011 Rugby World Cup, he was actually starting to receive the headaches again. And of course, we know the demands of European rugby and it just, it probably got even stronger once he moved over to Montpellier, where, you know, as, as we know, these uh, French owners, they pay a lot of money for these uh, rugby internationals and, you know, they want these guys on the field all the time. And uh, I can recall that he shared that story in the New Zealand Herald back in 2014. Now, if there wasn't a couple of warning shots there, I guess there, there never was, but we could also think way back to Steve Devine, the uh, former Auckland and All Black halfback as well, having to retire early. And that happened in the mid-2000s, I think, boy. That's correct. That's correct. Look, w- one thing I have to say is there are, uh, you know, based on the work I've done, there are three key areas uh, where rugby needs to look at uh, reducing this. Number one is, and this is the most important thing, guys, is education, coach education. Now, if, if you looked at the last five uh, test matches over the weekend, I would say 70% of all contact is actually happening chest level and above. The reason is coaches at test level encourage players to minimize the ability for the ball carrier to offload in the tackle by using a technique called a choke or stack tackle. So what that means is, Stephen, for example, if you're a ball carrier, if you're coming at me, I would I would go very upright and try and go crest or chest on chest and dip very late. Now, this is a very effective way, effective way from a coaching point of view to stop the offload. But the problem with this is World Rugby have a guideline saying nipple line. So nipple line and above is a no-go zone. And if you have any contact with uh, shoulder, you know, anywhere around your, your, your head, um, you know, it's a penalty or it starts escalating into a yellow or red card. But because this whole issue of choke tackle, and I've seen a couple of videos from top referees actually uh, commending and, and saying, you know, what defining what a, le- what a legal choke tackle is. Gentlemen, for, let's, let's be serious. The word choke tackle, I mean, you know, that just it doesn't give a good connotation. My framework, I, I look at replacing the choke tackle with an airbag tackle, where it's, it's a lot more passive. And you see this line here? You tackle below that. So what World Rugby have to do is, I've, I've, I'm, I'm working with them at this stage to get safe tackle framework um, initiated. Uh, what we need to do is we need to educate our coaches and encourage them. See this line? Tackle below. So when we train our players... We have to ensure that they are compliant and we get this habit in. Number two is the, uh, is the easy route which World Rugby have taken, this punitive route where soon as there's uh, head-high contact, out comes a card. But w- the problem here is 
depending on the geographic location, different referees are starting to interpret it in different ways. Now, for example, we saw Ofatu and You're going to stuff that's, that, that, that's about now. Well, the, the, the story that's out now is about, the his, is, is about historical stuff that's been going on, whether, whether World Rugby has done enough in the past. I, um, I, Stephen goes back to 2014 with um, Short and Happy. I'll go back to 2011 um, when Ben Robinson, who was a 14-year-old um, playing rugby at school, um, got um, three blows to his head and was sent back onto the field and died um, through concussion. Um, so, I mean, this is that we've known about head knocks killing people, right, um, for at least for, for around about a, for at least a decade. Um, we've known um, uh, that we that, that, it, that it does that um, it causes damage to people for at least that length of time, and yet when we come to the uh, as you say, it was only three weeks before the 2019 Rugby World Cup that we had a framework that said, hey, you're going to get more red cards. And that's 20, that's that's eight, year, eight nine years after, or, or sort of, yeah, nine, eight, nine years after someone has died through, um, and it's been publicised in the press and we've known about the dangers here and, and nothing is, and no, that's not fair. Things have happened and there's been awareness campaigns um, and uh, we, we, we have seen small changes in behaviour. But well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to interject. We, we don't actually have to look at historical failures. Let's look at the failures in the current context. If you look at the last 10 yellow or red cards with, with contact to the head, there's only been one HIA. That's right, only one HIA. So if you were going to argue this in a court of law, it's, it's a no-brainer. You look at the last 100 yellow cards... And you look at what has been put in place, what education has been there. Now, everyone knows uh, World Rugby have this guideline saying nipple line. But because there is no visual guideline, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's an absolute no-brainer. The problem is, rather than simplifying this whole issue, we're just muddying the waters by trying to add layer upon layer upon layer, <coughs> all complicated stuff. And, and also... Let me also give you the example of the blue card. How many blue cards have you seen uh, in the last well, couple of seasons? Blue, blue cards are only at, at the amateur level, and yeah, you're right. I mean, we Stephen and I got around to a whole bunch of club games. As 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 Bella, you're away. You you you're you're at every week uh, at, a, at a club game. Um, I never saw it. I've never seen a blue card ever. Given out, guys. I'm actually waiting for the team that's actually got the the courage to actually put a tackle line on their jersey. Seriously. I know we all like our colour on, on the jerseys, but I actually quite like the idea of, of, of a tackle line. And if you've got a tackle line on your jersey, I think it'll create a bit of a awareness for for the actual for the actual tacklers. And then that you know and if they do get penalised, I think there's there's just no there's just simply no argument. I we've seen it happen in the in um uh pro rugby over in the USA, which only lasted one year, um, they had a very, very thin red line um, as a guide. It wasn't very clear, it wasn't, um, but uh, but it was there. Um, now we've not seen anyone else, as you say, take it up yet. Um, the I think from a but, but from, from a legal point of view, look, we've we've known this is coming. NFL's had it. Uh, I think as soon as NFL had their their legal um, situation, uh, court court case, which got settled out of court with um, what nine or ten figure um settlement fee is in the billions um that uh, we knew that rugby was going to get there sooner or later right it was coming 
Um, the question has always been kind of really more when um, and kind of how big is that number going to be? Because as, as, as Bo has quite rightly said, you just have to look at what's happened at last weekend to go, you're not doing enough to stop head high tackles. Um, and therefore, we are going to get uh, I, I, so somebody now uh, is going to have to pay. Now, with the, with, with the financial situation that the sport is in, that um, is a pretty scary prospect because, let's be blunt here, None of the none of the none of the unions um, have got spare cash anymore. Uh, the the uh, RFU has somehow managed to lose or somehow managed to spend um, all its profits from the 2015 and has been sacking people. Um, uh, New Zealand Rugby has been saying for years that it is running a unsustainable deficit um, or loss. If you're talking about a proper company rather than a uh, rather basically mean a loss anyway. Um, we've what we've known for years that Australia is is on the brink of bankruptcy the whole time. Um, and uh, so, yes, uh, is there money to pay out this? Who knows uh, what impact that will be having on um, uh, on the sport uh, going forward, um, from a financial point of view as well. Just a, just a quick question. Do players that have been involved with a heavy concussion that's, uh, that's taking time to resolve, do they have CT scans? Because I know back in 2014 when the young rugby player up north, um, Jordan Kemp, who was only 17 years old. And man, you know, as a parent, you don't send your kids off to to find that they're going to get a head injury that ends, ends their life. But I know, I remember at the time, his grandfather suggested that players should have CT scans. At, you know, maybe, I don't know, every every two years or, or one year, just to, just to have a look to see what the brain's doing. Yeah, look, uh, one, of the, one of the really effective protocols is um, unarmed combat sport, i.e. mixed martial arts and boxing. They have mandatory stand-down periods, mandatory medical checks when you get your professional fighter's license. And if you get knocked out, there's a mandatory stand-down period. And there's a battery of tests you have to go through. So I think at prof in, in professional rugby, they, they, that's inevitable. Um, but the crux of the matter is Rather than create what I would call an audit culture, we actually need to create a culture where players, administrators, coaches take player welfare seriously because they want them to be safe, not because you're going to get a lawsuit or anything else. Yeah, I think that is the yeah, a, lot, a, a lot of World Rugby's actions have looked like, okay, how do we avoid a lawsuit rather than make the game safer? That's safer. Um, I, I was listening to um, Potholes and Penguins, which is a, a podcast out of Ireland, and one of the players on there admitted that uh, they used to um, basically fail their, or, or, or they would, you have a pre-season uh, cognitive test, and they would deliberately be bad at it, so when they got tested after they had a head knock, they would actually, they had more chance of passing it. Um, and sometimes they would have a head knock, um, be, uh, be, be concussed, and actually return a better result than when they did their pre-season one because they they deliberately failed it so badly, um, that kind of yeah that kind of culture in rugby has got to go, uh, essentially. Um, the but yeah so I, I, some uh, we we have a lot of other things to quick to to, to chat about, um, but um, clearly look it's something that we've that as you can tell as a podcast we uh, we feel passionate about, um, and it is a danger not only to people that it's also a danger to the sport. Um, as, as, as well, not only through this court case and um, and how much cat, how much uh, uh, whether it will bankrupt the sport, but also through participation numbers, as Bo has pointed out, 
um, earlier um, along this. Yeah, Paul, thank you for taking the time to talk about this and thank you all the fans responding as well because, you know, this is an area I'm very passionate about. I, I am going to, one way or the other, I'm going to get Safe Tackle Framework implemented and I'm absolutely hell-bent on making a change, a positive change, so that rugby becomes a safer yet spectator-friendly contact sport. Yeah, I, I, go, I go along with Bora as well and, and <clears throat> I'm really coming from the angle of, Bora spoke about parents you know, not wanting the kids to play this game. I want the kids to play this game and, and feel safe so we can see our next Caleb Clarks or whoever comes through come through the ranks. And also with regards to, to smaller kids as well. So <clears throat> so smaller kids don't have to be intimidated by by big kids. I've, listen, I've seen some horrible video footage of some, some smaller kids getting absolutely hit really hard by, by big kids and you, you can ha- hear all the chahooing on the on the sideline and that sort of thing just absolutely does my head. And if you're if your mother or father watching that man, you'd you'd never want your kid near rugby field again. But Paul, I, I just want to talk all what Boy just said. Thank you for taking the time for this. But yeah, looking forward to talking about these world rankings. <laughs> I wasn't going to go straight on to world rankings but I was going to say let, let, let let's review um, the uh, the All Blacks, the Pumas, and the Wallabies, and say what we think of their season. Um, so um, let's uh, uh, we'll, we'll go in reverse table order and the Rugby Championship. To start off with the Wallabies, finished last in the uh, Tri Nations with one win, two draws, um, and a uh, loss. Um, also picked up before that a draw um, and a loss against uh, the All Blacks in the um, uh, in the Bledisloe Cup games. So. What's that? One win, three draws and uh, two losses is their end of season record against the All Blacks and against Argentina. Um, I can see Stephen already shaking his head there. So, Dave Rennie, uh, how's he doing as a uh, um, as, as, as the new Wallabies? <clears throat> Listen, I think we probably have to put an asterisk there somewhere because he's introduced a, a lot of young guys. Um, Selection-wise, I think he made, made some huge errors in that uh, first return match across in Australia, where he sort of put out a very, very inexperienced uh, first five, second five centre centre pairing, and unfortunately they were horribly exposed in that game. But I do believe he's got it. He's got enough to work with there. I I don't know if he has real quality um, in in some specific uh, position. Still trying to obviously find a first five who's who's comfortable um, in in that particular role. To me, um, uh, James O'Connor looks looks better at first five than what Reese Hodge does, but Reese Hodge obviously got the got the better kicking kicking game. Unfortunately, just couldn't put over the kicks that really really counted. Um, they'll probably you know you'd probably arguably say their best performance was uh, their victory over the All Blacks, but I reckon their best performance was the very first game um, that they played the All Blacks in Wellington because they really really and truthfully deserved to win that game, but for a but for a coat of paints, probably the most bizarre game of the lot. But um, listen, all, all in all, he wouldn't be happy, but at least he's got something to work with moving forward. Boa, how do you think? Um, how, how do you think he's gone this? Uh, um, so, so this in his, in his first season. Look, Reddy's done what I would call a, a above average job. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything more. Uh, I was expecting a lot more from him because he's a very smart coach. I mean, I've, I've done a bit of work with and under him uh, attending a few courses. Really smart, astute man. 
But for me, the biggest question mark uh, and the most blunderous sort of team selection was in that uh, clutch game against All Blacks, which was all uh, the the Bledisloe Cup beside. He comes out with a you know very very inexperienced team and again gets absolutely thumped. Now you know I I I discussed this and I predicted this would be the case and that's exactly what happened because All Blacks decided to turn up that day. They they stepped it up for about twenty minutes and you know it was it was game over. It was game set match. Um, and, you know, you have to play, you have to have a game plan and tactics for the cattle you have. And, and, and also the, the very last game, which they drew, and, and mind you, I did, I did call it, didn't I? It was either Argentina going to win by three or less or uh, unlikely outside draw. And what happened? It was a draw. The Wallabies declined five shots, which were kickable at goal in the first 25 minutes. They just kept doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And what happened? Argentinians turned the ball over in the lineup. Now, to me, those are brain-dead tactics. All you have to do is take a deep breath, get the message on, and say, guys, get the kicking tee out. Let's slow this down. Let's take the points. Because even if you miss the goal, it's a 22 dropout. They kick right back at you. So, I thought it was really poor tactics. Um, also, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be too unkind. I think the game, uh, the first game... They played really well against the All Blacks. All Blacks didn't really turn up. And the game, the, they beat the All Blacks. Well, that was pretty poor by the All Blacks. Looking at the statistical pattern where it's the outlier game, where they play away uh, from the traditional venues. Uh, and they were playing in um, in Brisbane at Suncorp Stadium, a venue the All Blacks had historically struggled. I thought the All Blacks should have rolled out their best possible side. And they paid the price for it. So for me, I think it's a, it's a D-plus he hasn't got the greatest of players to work with. I don't see much of that changing. Sorry, a, uh, a D plus or a B plus? A D. 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 That's it. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I, I can see he's using St. Kent's, the, the wonderful academy of St. Kent's, to start drafting some uh, mm. players in. So, uh, again, I'm not so mm. sure whether that's the right way home. Um, and, and, again, there were a lot of inconsistencies, you know, based on what he said and what we saw over the entire Tri-Nations. And keep in mind, Australia had absolute home advantage. And they had the okay. best scheduling out of all the teams. So, no, for me, it was... Let me, let me just bring, bring, some, bring some sense to this, to this conversation then. Um, coming into this, um, Dave Rennie basically had um, very, uh, if you look, uh, a very inexperienced side. Pretty much most of the best players had headed overseas. Um, and um, he had a... a and and the, the people he could actually um, pick from was uh, when you look at what what he's got available to him, I think was was um, was pretty poor. Coming off a, a pretty toxic um, previous regime um, with um, Checker, he also had off the off field issues with the CEO getting sacked, and would um, would the would would Australian rugby go bust, or would it even exist next year um, as as off field distractions? And I think if we look at that first game, as, as Stephen said, uh, being their best game, you could see the players go out there and they were wanting to play for their coach, which I don't think we saw under Checker so much. They only played when they were scared of him, when he shouted at them. Whereas to me, I think he's, he's brought a, the right culture or a good culture to um, to build on um, in there. We've seen that with the um, uh, with also, I, don't, I think if he hadn't been around, we wouldn't have seen Dane Helen Petty suggest having the uh, national anthem being sung um, in, um, 
in First Nation language rather than just in English. Uh, and I think he's brought a lot of that. Um, he's put a lot of building blocks in place. We are talking about here about a brand new coach at the beginning of a four-year cycle towards the World Cup that's trying to discover uh, how his play, which which of his young players with very little experience will be able to cut it at um, at international level. Uh, so he's going to do some rotation. He's going to try a few things out. Did it work um, for that game back over in Australia, the, the Bledsoe Cup decider? No, it didn't. Um, but uh, injuries to J James O'Connor and Matt Tamua, who are key players for that side, um, I think also hindered him. Um, so to me, I would definitely give him a B um, for how, how, how he's gone. Um, in considering what he had to work with, where he is in the World Cup cycle, and the way we've seen them play, or at least the the effort from the players, I think he's got them heading in the right direction. Is there a lot of work to do? Absolutely. But I'd expect there to be a lot of work to do under the situation. Yeah, he's got a – you've got to remember, he, you're right, Paul, he, had, he did bring in a lot of a lot of players. You've got Harry Wilson at, at, at number eight, who looked really, really good. <clears throat> you've also got the uh, – the big aggressive blindside flanker from uh, New South Wales. He was the boy that got uh, got a uh, either a yellow or a red card. I think it might no, have been a red card. Lachlan. Yeah, yeah, Lachlan. Yeah, he he got a red card as well. And oh. some of those guys, they they, they are pretty fresh in, in in the scheme of things. And uh, I think I think Paul's right. Losing Tamua was absolutely huge because Tamua defensively. Is a very very good player, so they 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 lost a lot there. If they if they probably look back at a few things that they do different, I think next time you've got to take the points on offer, especially when you're playing a, a team like Argentina that's that's niggly, that will basically that will basically put everything in, in in at the breakdown. They'll be there or thereabouts. Listen, if we're having the same conversation in twelve months' time, then then yes, there's there's an issue. But I can see, you know what, I can see more. Going for this team than what when when that when they were under Checker, beg your pardon. I think these guys have got more. You look at right right the winger Dalguni. They'll also have the uh, they'll also have the Melbourne Storm winger who will be a sensation. Vunivalu when he comes to Bells Kodabeki. You know they've got to me they've probably got more firepower out wide than they've had for a very very long time. It's just a, it's just a matter of getting your combinations right. You know, in a perfect world, you'd probably you'd probably have the likes of uh, Tumor and uh, Jordan Pattaya as your midfield, but we never saw that combination together. They've also, we, sh we shouldn't forget, they've got a very good halfback in Nick White as well. So they, there's a, they've got the ingredients there to make it happen. And I, yeah, I, I think probably a C I'd go, I'd go for. But if, the, if we're talking, we're having the same conversation or seeing the same pictures this time next year, then you look, maybe look at an F. So there you go, A, A, C, and D. Um, not only from the three of us in the, in the uh, in uh, on the show, but also in the live chat as well. We've had B, Cs, and Ds in there. So yes, uh, depends. I guess it depends what you're measuring him against. I think is really one of the big the big things here um, for us. Um, Nocturnal right, second row is better for the Wallabies than before. Absolutely, except one of them's going overseas. So um, again, starting from scratch again, and that's good. That's that's going to be his big his big issue is keeping the players that he wants. <clears throat> In I, Australia, I, I was going to say one other. Add one other thing. They have got some players in there at the moment with with um, with uh, the Tong and Thor, uh, Taniela Tupo, um, the likes of Harry Wilson, Jordan Pataya at centre. 
man, they've got the potential to produce some real world-class players over the next few few years. Um, I'm still not convinced if they found the right first five. <laughs> they kind of feel like the Blues did about three three or four seasons ago, struggling struggling to find a first five. But I think they also introduced another young prop <clears throat> as as well. Yep. Name uh, name just a, a yeah Bell and he Angus Bell or something. Like that. He just only a young guy. So yeah, I don't know. I've 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 got a, I've got a bit of hope for them. Yep. My, 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 my biggest grouse is obviously not taking the shots at goal. And also mm-hmm. in the last game against Argentina, they played this pattern, 1-3-3, one, three, three, one attack pattern. They kept doing that 16 times. They coughed up four turnovers. Uh, they got three penalties, which they all declined. Um, and, and, and to me, you know, that, that shows wanting to do the same thing over and over again and not wanting to change. And, and, and because I hold Dave Rennie in such high regard, because I know what he is as a as a tactical strategic thinker, it was very very disappointing to see that sort of thing from a coaching point of view. So mm. Paul, you're absolutely correct. Depends what yardstick you take. I I look at the numbers. I look at the technical coaching aspects of the game. So for that reason, that's why I give him a D plus. Yeah. Hey, they guys. They would have sacked Alex Alex Ferguson after the first two years with Manchester United, <laughs> uh, based based on based on some of his results. So I guess it's one of those things. We'll we'll, we'll give him a little bit of time and see how it plays out. Absolutely. Um, so they finished sixth um, in the world rankings, uh, yeah, which uh, feels probably about right, uh, to, to be honest with you. Moving on then to Argentina, who are finishing eighth in the world rankings. They uh, they had one win, two draws, and one loss from their four games this season. Wow, only four internationals in the season when uh, you think the All Blacks normally have 14, which, uh, yes, it's a strange year, let's be blunt. Um, but that strange year also included their 39th game, was it was yeah, 39th or 40th game um, against the All Blacks, which was their first ever win um, against the All Blacks. Um, plus, then they say they have their two draws and their one loss. Let's talk about their on field stuff before we talk about their off field stuff, because that might be a different ranking um, for how they are um, off the field as to where they are on the field. Um, who did I start with last time? Did I, start with, I started for Stephen last time. Bella, um, give us your your thoughts on how Argentina went this year and and uh, and their ranking. Oh look, A for awesome, amazing. I've, I've got to give these guys an A minus. Uh, what these guys had to go through, and especially without playing Test footy for 402 days, they turn up and they wallop a, a full strength uh, All Black side. Well, okay, wallops is probably a bit of a stretch, but. You know, they beat them up front. They physically outmuscled them. Tactically, they outthought them. They they took their kicks at goal. Uh, they had, they, you know, they had this perfect blueprint of how to beat the All Blacks. They played territory. They played the game in the right part of the field. And you know, it was it was it was wonderful to see the All Blacks. Were, you know, they were rattled. They had no idea how to hit back. Um, and 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 also, guys, I mean, having gone through what they had as a nation, as a country. To, to have the courage and spine to front up, go through all those quarantine procedures, put a team on the park on the day and play with that sort of passion and machismo and beat the, uh, you know, arguably, I'm, I'm being a bit biased here, world's number one side uh, in the eyes of many, simply an unbelievable feat. And, and you know, those two draws, they were, they were 
Yeah, well, Stephen says, uh, sorry, uh, Paul <laughs> says third on the rankings. Yep, that's the ranking. But then again, you know, the world champions, you know, they're playing dodgeball. They didn't show up. And they, they made a mockery of this whole theory. Yeah, anyway, about... We're not from South Africa. Um, they didn't deserve talking about because they didn't show up. Yep. <laughs> no, yeah, all I'm saying is, you know, I think I think in my eyes, they're, they're the real Tri-Nations champions. Having gone through what they have, the type of performances they put out. And also, it really inspired a lot of people. And it, it actually got people thinking and watching the rugby because it started getting interesting. So, for me, um, you know, had they had they pipped the, the Wallabies on a couple of occasions, which I think they could have. And also, this goes back to, you know, a couple of goal kicks, which they missed. But overall, I think on field, A minus, A for awesome. Stephen, are you going to agree with Boa, or, or are you going to end up with a full range of, uh, of of rankings like we did for? Oh, listen, you you couldn't you you really couldn't grade them. You'd have to you'd have to give them an A in terms of a grading. Just simply, Boa pretty much uh, said it all in in terms of where they come from. I mean, so that that victory over the All Blacks. It was comprehensive. It was actually probably more comprehensive than Australia's victory over the All Blacks uh, easily. And defensively, it was such a good effort. It, it almost it almost reminded me of the Crusaders from the early 2000s, how they were able to grind teams down, but take their take their opportunities when they uh, when they were on offer. But they also introduced a couple of new centres. One that's coming to Auckland, um, Santiago Chuka. Something or other, <laughs> but I don't know. It's to be coming to Auckland, he hasn't actually. Yeah, the, 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 there you go. I mean, to say for a guy on debut, boy, he looked after Jack Goodhue big time in, in that game. And man, they actually showed a lot of heart. Yeah, sure, they dropped their standard in that 38 uh, nil loss to the All Blacks, but you know, there were a lot of mitigate, mitigating circumstances after that game. They um, obviously wanted to put it their best foot forward against Australia in the final game. So hence they they rested some guys. But um, I think the other good thing, I think they've kind of moved on from, you know, somebody like Augustine Creevy, who was the skippy, skipper of uh, Argentina for, for for many years as well. And they've just shown they've actually got guys to replace um, Augustine Creevy because he was a, a, a big part of how that side was run. So no, they to me, they, they get an A. You guys, yeah. one other thing I would say is the Pumas, 96% tackle completion rate. That's unheard of at test level. Usually, the, the best sides make about 91%. Now, you compare that against the Wallabies when they got thumped 40-plus points. The Wallabies missed 32 tackles. Their tackle completion rate was an abysmal 17%. So, there you go. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, mean, I, I think um, yeah, we have to go with an A. There's a couple of Bs in the live chat there, but uh, mostly um, with A's. Um, I think I'll probably go A minus um, as well. Uh, Nocturnal Wright says the yeah, game plan was simple: big defence, win penalties, and kick goals. Also, snipe the odd breakout try. And I think for me, that's why I'd put the minus in there. Is that yes? Is that it was all on big defence, um, and they didn't really look like scoring many tries. Or I mean, uh, I think it wasn't until their last game that someone other than Nicolas Sanchez actually scored a point um, for them. So. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, a, it's a limited game plan that was that was executed fantastically well. Um, and given, as you say, the lack of rugby that they've had, the amount of quarantine that they've had to do, um, the uh, they um, it, it was fantastic. But uh, again, if we're talking about them in the same way next year, a bit like with Australia, they need to evolve that game um, to add to it. 
but it was yes, it was a massive. It, it was a it was a big step, a big a big statement season for them. I think that they, and, and a, a level now that they can't let themselves slip back from. Mm. For me. Um. So yes, Kramer was a beast of a player. Look, there, there was beasts of players all over the uh, all over the shop for for Argentina. Let's be honest. Um, and Batman, hey, um, good to see you joining us as well in the live chat there. Um, so. Um, moving on then to the All Blacks, um, two wins and two losses um, to win the um, Tri Nations. Uh, we've just lost Stephen for a second there. He's all gone black. Um, plus also a draw and win in their Bledisloe Cup games. So three wins, one draw, two losses. Um, but as Aaron Smith said on Twitter, at the end of the day, they they won both pieces of silverware that were up for grabs. So from that point of view. You could say it was um, a successful season, but um, Boa, uh, your thoughts on uh, the All Black season uh, that, that's, uh, with, with with those results? Okay, so let's look at the positives. Absolutely, they won. Yep, and the points differential was incredible. I mean, they scored uh, sixteen tries to conceding only four, so four to one ratio. Uh, and also, when they were hot, they were you know scintillating. When they decided to show up and turn up, which they did on two occasions. Simply and utterly brilliant. And there was this sense of anticipation. Every time they touched the ball or they had a quick recycle, something special was going to happen. Uh, but the, the the negatives for me was those two games where they looked like they just didn't want to be there. And if you were to critique effort, and this is not something I ever thought that I would see in my lifetime following the All Blacks. And I would ever critique is their effort and wanting to actually be on the field. Now, that game they lost to the Pumas, uh, you know, GPS stats back what I'm saying, is pretty abysmal. Most of the guys were actually ambling from place to place. I'm not going to go into those stats, but simply and utterly unacceptable by the high. How do you get GPS stats for the All Blacks? Um, I, 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 I'm not going to go into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's heckling. I'm, I'm, He's heckling. I'm, 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 I, I, I am the stats bird. I am resourceful. So there are ways. Uh, but then you 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 contrast that against the Bloody Slow Cup decider, where we absolutely thumped the Wallabies into the next millennium. You know it, the speed at which the ball was kept live in play was was incredible. I don't think anyone, even if they brought their A game, could have kept up with the All Blacks, and that's why you saw all those missed tackles. And then then again, that initial start. It was a very slow start. Again, they were ambling. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. Some of those kicking tactics we have to question. Borden Barrett, uh, in fact, had 10 from 10 kicks, which not one kick in that drawn game was actually contestable. So, again, it was, you know, wasteful. And then also from the coaching department, I mean, you know, this has been very well documented. My goodness me, the entire country turned on Ian Foster after that loss to the Pumas. Uh, and then you compare that against someone like Mario Ledesma, the uh, Pumas coach. You know, boy, tactically and strategically, and also in front of the camera, it was chalk and cheese. So we, had, we we pretty much had this whole nation and all these All Blacks fans right around the world questioning their attitude and effort. Now, to me, that's a real uh, sticking point from a coaching point of view. So for that reason, I'd give them an honorable C. Stephen? Because Harry makes a good point. The All Blacks for winning two trophies in a year with only a 50% uh, win rate. 
who else has ever done that? Um, I don't know if there's many teams that have actually, that have actually done that. Um, I'm yet to find them. Um, yeah, it, it, to me, <laughs> here we go, Batman, Paul Stephen, rest, rest in peace, the All Blacks aura from 2005 to 2015. Yeah, good on you. <laughs> um, listen, for me, there's some warnings. There are some warning signs. What I what I what I still see is inconsistency in selection, because I think if you're trying to mould a team and get consistency, I think you've got to get consistency into your selection, getting the right team on on the paddock at least ninety five to one hundred percent of of the time. The other thing that I'm that I'm seeing as well, and I've actually seen this for the last two or three years, is the ill discipline. And I'm talking about penalty, ill-discipline, and also ill-discipline in and around cards. And, of course, another red card. And that's on the back of a, another red card from, um, who was it, Scott Barrett last year. So we seem to be getting a little bit consistent when it, uh, or con, well, consistently inconsistent when it comes to comes to to, uh, to cards at the moment. So it's something we've obviously not sorted out. And when you've got all this happening in your game, you can't develop your game. You're keeping the teams that you're playing against in the contest for a very long time. Once, a, once upon a time, good All Black teams would weather the storm. You know, it might be close at half time, but the usually the team that's playing the All Blacks has put so much effort in that by the time the All Blacks went out in the second half, they'd probably within the space of ten minutes at times take that game take that game away from the other team, and that's. To me, that's a concerning thing. We ju- we are just not seeing that, and I'm starting to sort of question. The All Blacks have lost. You know, there's some great players that have moved on. It's well docu- documented the number of players that they've lost after the World Cup, and you know, somebody like Kieran Reid comes to mind, and that's just in terms of terms of leadership. I look at this current All Black team, and and whilst uh, I think Sam Kane gets a tick in the box for the way that he's played, I think there are some little question marks to me around his leadership. And, uh, and unfortunately that really more or less came through with an off-field interview guys. So um, yeah, it was almost like, I agree with Boer. It's almost like they were there or thereabouts, but not there. And that's why I'm giving them a C. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's like, there's a whole bunch of comments here in the, in the live chat. I think that, that, that are very true. I think um, Batman's comment about the All Blacks aura um, I think we've been saying for a while now the All Blacks aura has been um, uh, diminishing a bit, and part of that is just the, how regularly other teams play them nowadays. They don't have the same kind of uh, uh, there, there isn't the same mystique. They actually, re- they, they know the players, they know who they're playing against. Um, I think there's also uh, comments in there about the um, sense of uh, entitlement. Now, I'm not sure if entitlement is necessarily the right one. I would say complacency going into games, um, as you say, that first game against the. Um, against the, the Pumas, um, the standard that they were playing at was not the standard they played at in the following game when they picked themselves up and they turned around. Whereas if you think about under uh, Graham Henry, under Steve Hansen, would they allow the variation in standard of, of uh, in level of play to be what it is now? Or would Richie McCaw, more to the point, allow the variation uh, um, of standards between games, I don't think so, and so I think there's there's there's, definitely, there's a big thing there around that, around that sort of things. Paul, there was one game which to me stands out, where 
they actually were so rattled they weren't able to change their tactics and Boa talked talk before about a team doing the same thing and expecting a different result and that was the loss to Argentina where they were so rattled so basically intrinsically stuck in their head that they should stick to their game plan of trying to take on the Argentinians around the middle of the field as opposed to playing down into the red zone and, and putting a bit of pressure on the Argentinians to come out. That, was, that for me, was a, was a feature game in terms of where tactics needed to be changed, where in the past we've seen either Richie McCaw or, or Kieran Reid change the tactics. Listen, we're going to pick and go for a while. We've actually tried to move the ball sideways, and, that, and that's what I'm looking for, just the change of plan or a little game, a little action game plan change or, or how much did that loss to the Fumers remind you of that loss to England in the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup right I was, it, was, it, was, it was carbon copy and they, they looked like you know they looked like a rabbit in front of the headlights they just could not kind of change what they were doing and also you know real bugbear for me is from a tactical point of view I mean guys you know we need to kick our goals in tight games we have to admit that we won't be able to score four plus tries <laughs> Whenever the points are on offer, we have to master the art of actually kicking goals to win games, as how the Pumas, you know, clearly demonstrate. And and also from tactical kicking, you know, we have to learn to play in the right part of the field. I know all this sounds really basic, but if you look at the stats and numbers, the All Blacks struggle when the pressure is on and they have to play back in their own half. Um and also, you know, I'm not a big fan, Steve um, and Paul and everyone else, um, of picking players out of position. I mean, no. we've had some stunning players. And the best example is when Will Air Jordan came on. You know, uh, it was a breath of fresh air. It was a bit of innovation. Rather than targeting the man in defense, he was targeting the ball. He was looking, yeah. you know, he was looking for opportunity. And what does he do? Score two tries back to back. So, with, with all this firepower, why is it that we have to pick players out of position and play them? And when they keep bungling along, we just keep persisting with it. it to me, it makes very little sense. Brian, Brian Habana was the master of attacking the ball. And if you think back to the number of intercepts that he picked off, yeah, some people would say to me, oh, that was lucky. And I said, no, that's not lucky. That's <laughs> actually reading. That's actually reading the game. Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. Think, um, Will, Will, Will Jordan, how many times has he done it? Uh, it might attend. And he just, you know, he took that learning onto the field and he did it. And that, from a coaching point of view, you can't ask anything more of a player. People make their own luck at the end of the day quite often. Um, and yes, it might be, it might, yes, that time it might have been lucky. But the other 90 times, it was, um, the other 90% of the times it was unlucky. Um, yes. So it's one which depends which way you want to look at it. But um, Aaron, yeah, makes a point. Is it a case of listening to the same old things over and over because the coaches and management, um, re repeating the previous coaches and management, Yes, there's, yes. Have the, have the players become tired of the message, and that's 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 true. Um, Nocturnal writes prediction: Bowden Barrett is a busted flush. No, 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 no. It's about a two-time World Player of the Year here. Bowden Barrett is not a busted flush. The problem, I think, also there is a problem with selection. Is uh, currently New Zealand's best fifteen players are not um, the best fit, are not the best team, um, and by that I mean you've got. Too many, you got your players, you've got multiple fullbacks, you've got multiple uh, five eights that you're trying to shoehorn into a team. Um, you've got multiple sevens or sixes you're trying to shoehorn into a team. Uh, and that uh, at the moment, the balance is wrong, uh, even but he appears to be trying to get the best 15 players on the park. 
which is not always the best way to go. Yeah, the, the word I would use, guys, is Frankensteining. You remember the movie Frankenstein where Victor is put together with, you know, the horse's heart, the pig's head, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and really, guys, with the amount of talent we have in this country, there's really no need to do that. We pick the best players in position, play them consistently, give the right pool of players a go. And I think most of these problems will disappear. And it's going to be a very, very different beast every single time the All Blacks go on the field. So, um, am I going to go B or C? You've got, um, I, it's difficult, isn't it? It's somewhere in there. Um, probably, I'm probably a C, um, maybe a C plus. I'll be uh, there on that one because yes, yeah, they have got the they have got the cups, but not in the way that we would expect or want them to. Now, I want to play a little video, guys. Um, it'll just uh, take a um, a short while, a, a, a short video. Uh, and then we'll have a discussion about what Ash Dixon um, has got to say about um, Maori uh, teams. It's great for culture, it's great for Pacific. Um, you know, that champion effort to be able to get a copy in and, you know, oh. yeah, to be involved as well, to be involved as well, and that's a good team, you know, some amazing ones. But anything that we can create diversity or bring more teams in to create culture or um, opportunity for players in the countries and whatnot, why couldn't we do that? Why do we have to sit and just concept here, we can, we can better others and better people and make the game actually better. And I think it's a great way to do it. So just an off the cuff, Flora, have you talked about that with, you know, teammates and things like that? Well, that's just me saying how it is, I think. Mean, that's just how I feel about it. I'm not here, I'm, I'm not here to start naming with anyone, but I just, that's just my feeling. And I think those guys are, you can see the love that they were for each other, you know. So uh, he's uh, he's not here to start an argument, he says. Um, but uh, but he has dropped a bombshell there. But your thoughts? Um, should there be a uh, Maori um, All Blacks or a Maori um, Super Rugby team? Well, I have to say, Ash Dixon sounded very statesmanly there. I think there's a there's a career in waiting after rugby. Might be a, a, another candidate from the Maori Party, definitely. I mean, the way he spoke uh, uh, was very to the point. Um, look, I think it's a great idea, and I'll tell you why, guys. I think uh, channeling some of that uh, resources from some of the local EV into sport will create a whole different economy altogether. Will create a whole different uh, set of social opportunities and, and, and a lot of sort of sub-opportunities right around it because rugby is uh, something which really connects communities right across right across this nation. So I think it's, it's a wonderful idea. Um, and also it'll, uh, it'll give opportunities for uh, people within the local EV, i.e. coaches, administrators, uh, um, suppliers into teams. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity. It's, it's got to be taken and seen in a positive way. It's got to be uh, administered, structured in a 
positive professional manner which will seamlessly fit in to the current available structures um and of course um, i think long term it's got to be sustainable so but i think he's 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 on to a real gem there and uh, really love the way he speaks uh, yeah much uh, much respect and aroha um steven yeah you know the more, the more i thought about it when it was a, a, a originally sort of uh, spoken about or when you told me about the interview i thought mm, not so sure about that but the more i think about it and boy makes a really good good point um with regards to sort of touching touching base with our communities and especially those those maori maori communities where a lot of maori boys have actually fallen off the radar when it comes to playing the 15 man game we also just to give you an example uh, up in up in northland there's a lot of kids that have been actually um in recent times that have actually been taken out of northland and taken over to play NRL and are making a really really good fist with somebody like former Kiwi Adam Blair is is one of those kids that was taken out of northland and we've also seen it with the uh, Parramatta stand off Darren Brown as well out of out of northland so i think it on a good thing it actually creates a lot of opportunities i'm not sure if it's going to if if something like that will go ahead or even if the New Zealand rugby union are allowed but you know people often talk about the polynesian commu- um contribution to New Zealand rugby but boy um Maori have a big contribution to New Zealand rugby as well yeah to me i would love it so uh, yeah as you say yeah, the, the Maori do have a big uh, big contribution and the Maori All Blacks or the uh, or the New Zealand Maori uh, depending on what name you you would obviously been rebranded um is uh, something that um has been marginalized and given less and less games every year uh which but and yet it's a team that uh, the, the public want I'm, to see more and more of um, Paul I was going to say there was, I know there was something I I remember I recall reading a piece a couple of years of years ago and I must admit it came from an activist but you know sometimes you've got to read these articles with with um with open mind uh, and it was basically in and around where Maori rugby was only I think the it was round about the time that the AIG contract had been renewed and part of that uh part of that contract was for New Zealand Maori to play two or three games in in one year and um this particular activist had had, had mentioned he'd spoken to somebody from the rugby union and they thought it was a little bit of a a, a pain in the neck because the All Blacks were the, the top players were already playing X amount of amount of rugby but this activist actually said well hang on New Zealand rugby you'll you'll gladly use maori logos you'll grad- gladly use the haka uh me waiata you know a lot of a lot of maori culture but you won't you don't you you know you kind of refuse to give something back i mean say so, so for example what i loved about Saturday the Mana Pacifica game that man that should happen every year but the first thing you will hear is where do we fit that in there's always a there's always seems to be a a barrier or a hand that goes up first before an idea. Well, okay, so that question was asked during that during the uh, the interviews. And if I'd known you were going to say that, I'd have cut I'd have clipped out um, <laughs> Clayton McMillan's um, response. But effectively, yeah, as you said, it's a crowded calendar. Um, so where yeah where, where do you um where where does it fit in? Uh, again, player welfare and playing too many games. Has got to be something that we bake into the, into whatever new whatever um, new season we get into. Uh, unfortunately, it's quite clear that I mean we discussed a little bit on Sunday night um, 
on the rugby review show. Now it's supposed to be reviewing games, so I try to keep it off. There's too going going too far down this rabbit hole. Um, but um, the yeah, we will if if I mean there's been a missed opportunity. Let's be blunt in restructuring the world calendar. It's not going to happen now. Um, COVID has been that that's, uh, has has been missed. But um, Aaron says, would it dilute the strength of uh, would it dilute the Super Rugby teams? Um, well, uh, you've got to say if. Um, uh, the um, well, the Moana Pacifica is going to be taking players um, that uh, could be in the Super Rugby teams. Uh, so whether you have it as a Pacifica team, whether you have it as what, what doesn't matter what. Um, uh, I mean, you, you could you could suggest the Sunwalks diluted or took players away from Super Rugby sides because a lot of New Zealand players played in that as well. So um, I, 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 uh, that, that's an argument from out for the for the number of teams within Super Rugby rather than whether there should be a merit team or not. I, I would argue against that. It will not dilute uh, Super Rugby player base. I'll tell you why. With Because of COVID-19, the influx of players coming back into the country who want to have contracts centrally regulated, i.e. at might attend level and Super Rugby, the numbers have increased. And that's why we are actually... We actually last week when we did the uh, uh, podcast, we saw some really talented players actually miss out. And that's one reason, guys. And there are a number of other players who are sitting in the fringes, who could easily make it into that group of players, but they can't because you have a cap for the five Super Rugby franchises. Uh, we'll have to see how long that lasts for. Um, and obviously, and because uh, the the um, top 14 is going to be back up and running next year uh, by by all accounts, and um, players are already are already, already up there um, training. So uh, the, the, those players, so you couldn't read, for example, um, there are other players as well, who were made available for my 10 um, won't be available next year and could potentially have been available for Super Rugby if, uh, if the top 14 hadn't gone ahead. Um, so the, there's an element of as COVID um, declines or as it gets sorted out, um, then that that pressure or that, or that attraction to come back here will, will dissipate as well. Um, the uh, Assuming that uh, the, um, the RFU and um, the French Federation don't get totally bankrupted by uh, by the concussion um, legal bill. Um, the um, then I think there'll still be that power to move to, to move overseas. So um, there will be an element of that um, uh, that I think. So guys, quick question uh, before the whole parting shots: uh, Will I get an opportunity to talk about the yellow cards and the red card from the weekend? No. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't. You didn't tell me pre pre show that you wanted that, that was that was a topic, and um, I have another topic to talk about, which we're not going to have time to talk about this week. So, absolutely no. If you're not going, if you're not going to not going to let me know pre pre show, then uh, there won't be time for it. I'm afraid. Um, so we'll have to. We'll, we, we can talk about consistency of refereeing and yellow uh, and cards. Um, a another time during the off season, we will definitely we, we can definitely touch we'll, on that. We'll, we'll probably need two episodes for that. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> dearie me. Um, so one of the things we do like to try and avoid doing is bashing the sport and uh, and complaining about referees. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll try and keep it within a constructive manner a conversation. Um, so yes, yeah, so it'd be interesting. What, so um, Stephen, where would you uh, have this team play? Or would you have it as a travelling team around the whole country? Oh, that's a that's a that's a that's a good question. Um, I'd I'd actually play it. You know, I'd I'd play it in regions like Whangarei and 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 Rotorua. You know, just in some really strong Maori strongholds, and and it, you know, it doesn't get stronger than those two provinces. Maybe down in 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 the, in the Waikato, 
Although on saying that, you'll you'll probably have complaints from the South Island as well if they if they're not getting in games. I I think they're one of those teams you've got to you've got to move move you've got to move around because they're, if it's if they're playing under the New Zealand Maori banner, it means that they've got to play it play at various venues. But you know what? I wouldn't take them to the bigger venues. I'd actually take them to the smaller smaller venues like um uh, like Hawks Bay. Um, oh, God, I'm trying to think Manawatu, yeah, maybe even East Coast. If the, I don't think, I don't think, um, the there's part, a venue the, big enough, yeah, I don't think there's a venue big enough there. I mean, that's the only problem, but I know that it'll be, uh, I know they'll get well, well, well fed with seafood, uh, at the end of the event. I want to go down and cover, I want to go down and cover that game. <laughs> Simon, Simon's put in here Rotorua, uh, Stephen, you also mentioned it now. I understand the cultural links. I understand the history. Um, or not understand. I get. I don't fully understand it, but, I, but I, I do get that. However, Rotorua gets absolutely appalling attendance um, to the Mighty Ten Cup games compared to Tauranga. Put bluntly, it does not have a population. It does not have the sporting um, culture of going and seeing games there, unfortunately. So for me, if you're going to add another, another Super Rugby franchise, it doesn't matter what guys it's in it has to be in Tauranga. Tauranga is the biggest city the biggest population base without a super rugby team it doesn't have the infrastructure i get that that would have to be built but for me you have to be looking at putting it where the audience is uh and to me that would that would it would have to be Tauranga. that would be my my opinion yeah that that makes that makes a lot of sense because numbers and finances will dictate it but but again i feel that if this is structured correctly and if there's proper consultation amongst the iwi, uh, there, 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 there are ways to keep this financially viable. There, there's definitely ways. And I think it's more to do with communal engagement as well, as Stephen rightly pointed out. And this will be a fantastic public relations opportunity for NZR. And also, this very concept will actually sell out. By sell out, I mean cr uh, have a lot of connectivity from right around the world because... You know, uh, New Zealand rugby, the Hakka and Maori culture is something overseas fans of All Blacks absolutely revere. So this is this. I think this is a fantastic opportunity. There will probably be creating more opportunity off the field than on the field. No, I mean, um, Aaron. Yes, uh, it wouldn't be a Maori players were excluded from playing for the other Super Rugby franchises. Um, they could still do that if they wanted to. Um, so, um, um, but so, so yes, no, it would be a. Uh, it would be a team that was predominantly that. You may even have one or two players if there wasn't the quality. Obviously, it's got to be a competitive team. Um, uh, Stephenson Minto suggests, yeah, he's he's all up for it being a kind of a travelling team, which would be an interesting way of doing it, having their five games at different locations, all, across, all their five home games at different locations across the country would be an interesting way of doing it. Um, Jack wants to stick at five teams uh, there. Now, um, uh, just before we wrap up then, so Aaron says, Paul, don't be so mean. The audience wants to hear Boa talk about yellow and red cards. So, folks, we will have one of the main topics next week will be yellow and red cards from Boa, okay? Uh, we do not have the time to do it justice now. We have run out of time, and if I make him just talk about it for two minutes, he'll just get angry because I've not given him long enough. It's going to take longer than that, let's be honest. So there's no point doing it now because we just don't have time, but we will. That will be a key topic for next week. Just, just a quick precursor. Have a look at the two yellow cards from last week's game, Argentina versus Australia. Oh, my goodness me. What is this game coming to? So let's talk about that next week.
Okay. Except there were three yellow cards in that game, so you'll need to need to be a bit more precise than that. I think you mean the two yellow cards in the first half. The the, the two yellow cards for the clean out in the ruck. So it's fair to yeah. say the next clean out, if you want to be legal, you got to do it with your backside because that way it's it's a nice soft big area. You make contact with your head, albeit accidentally. Surely that's not going to have any implications. So there you go, folks. Yeah, what can uh, I say? Um, so if, and, and also, okay, what we will also do is uh, we'll have, we have Stephen, uh, sorry, we'll have Steve, not Stephen, we'll have Steve back, Cornflake back, because he'll want to talk about Angus Cardner. So, yes, I will get the two the two big cards. Angus Cardner. <laughs> I'll get the two big cards on for next week. Steve, Stephen? Um, you're welcome to join, or you may you may skip that one if you fancy. Um, <laughs> but it, I, might, I, might look, look, guys, I might get carded. I might get carded. Angus Angus Gardner couldn't pick a foot in touch five feet away. What makes anyone think he can pick anything else in a game of rugby? I mean, it's delusional, guys. Oh, good lord! What is the game going? To add some balance, last year, uh, last year, this year, I'm trying, I think it might be earlier this year, there was a survey of all the Super Rugby players within New Zealand, anonymous survey, to say who they thought um, was the um, was was the best Super Rugby referee, uh, and the players said Angus Gardner was the best Super Rugby referee. So, so anyway, so fake news, fake news, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's it's kind of like trying to uh, kind of Jimmy the HIA uh, in the season, so fake news. Bella will be playing anti-Fafa next. Um, it's no, it's not fake news. It's true. I'm I'm, I'm the wrong skin color, so that's not going to yeah. work. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> see, we uh, see we we don't see. I, I, I can say, look, I don't see color. It's not a racial thing. You see, I I, I, can, I can say that now because you've I've gone and uh, anyway. So um, thank you uh, everybody. Thank you, Bella. Thank you, Stephen, for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure as always. As I say, next week. The main topic will be cards, uh, consistency of refereeing. We will have Cornflake back. Um, and uh, <laughs> we'll, have some, we'll have some video cards ready as well. So let's dissect that. Sorry, we'll have some videos ready for you, folks, as well. So let's have a look at that. And no, uh, we'll not have videos for you because unfortunately, Sky would then uh, give me a copyright breach and I'd get the, I'd get the channel taken down. So unfortunately, we can't show you videos of, uh, of the actual instant. But so uh, we might be able to have some sort of drawings or or, or whatever. But I'll, I'll, I'll work stick, with Bella on that. Stick figures on whiteboard. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I can say the noodle man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple of questions there. Um, sorry, is swinging from the hip, hip, um, hips coming back? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, we just need to. Um, uh, we're just having a bit of issue with um, with presenters and availability, but we will get swinging. We will get our cricket show back. Um, uh, I'm hoping to get to just to give uh, some. I always get to a volleyball uh, reenactment. <laughs> Nocturnal rights suggest reenactments instead. Look, my, my neck wouldn't cope with it. I'd break. I'd, 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 I'd do myself an injury just trying to pretend. Um, so anyway, I need to bring this to the hole. It's, it's all a close. It's all been a bit of a mess. It's all fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone who's watched and joined us in the live chat. It's been fantastic. Thank you, everyone who listens on the podcast. Um, we do appreciate it. Become a supporter of New Zealand Sport Radio. Head over to nzsportradio.com um, and uh, become a supporter so that I can keep doing this and actually also eat. Thank you, folks, and good night. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 